Sadashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmaracharya Payantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwara Gurakmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadhyapta Deyaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gojaram Tamagojaram Govindam Paramanandam Sadguru Pranatosmyaham so, samsaras love objects. Get your joys, you get your sorrows. Depending on the degree of your how much sattva you have in your mind, you're relatively more successful. Depending on the degree of Rogers and Thomas, you're relatively less successful. Samsara. You can manage your gunas for samsara if you want. It's a good good idea. If you're a complete samsari, study the guna teaching. It will help you. And you're not interested in any of this spiritual stuff, but you're interested in getting what you want in the world. Understanding the gunas is a great help. But uh, we're obviously interested in non-dual love. Non-dual love means unconditional love. It means you don't think about it. You just express yourself naturally. Just, just like you love yourself, you, you see everybody as yourself. And so you treat everybody else as you treat yourself. You treat yourself with the highest respect, right? You love yourself more than anything. So if everybody's me, then everybody gets the same treatment I get. And you pamper yourself, and you love yourself, and you take care of yourself, because you love yourself. And so why shouldn't you look after everybody else in the same spirit? What? Why not? If they're you. If they're not you, well, then that's a problem. But we're saying that everything is not about you. See, there's no world apart from your mind, from your thoughts. You're never experiencing anything out there in the world. Uh, we've made it look like or sound as if there was a world outside of you that you're experiencing, but you're never experiencing anything out there. You're always experiencing everything only in here. So, the idea of, of my wife or my boyfriend, my husband, that's purely a conceptual idea. There's, you don't own anybody out there. You can't claim that that's your children or your husband or your job or your wife. You can't claim that. What, who did that belong to? Who does that belong to? Ishwara. To God. God made it all. God sustained it all. And God's going to destroy it all. So now it belongs to you. So you can't say, this is mine. Okay? 
So, so karma yoga is appreciating that you're totally dependent on God, that everything belongs to God, and that everything is God. So you just have to start relating to everything in that way, the same way you'd relate yourself to yourself with great love, with great care, and great concern. Uh, other, other, uh, yes. Other question, did God make made also what humans made, or is there a difference? Did God make what? Also what <coughs> humans made, humans built aeroplanes and Yeah, cars. sure. Everything. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. No, no, nothing. Is, no, all of you, everything that humans make uh, is made by God. Because human beings can't make anything without God, can they? All the material for to make anything comes from God. And all the intelligence that <coughs> to create any object comes from God. You didn't. You, nobody created any material objects. The matter was already here. We can shape them into different things, and the intelligence to shape an object to make a, a, a creation—that's all borrowed from God. So there's not one thing that doesn't belong to God. We, we're lucky because uh, God has loaned us a physical body. It's like going to the bank. God's the bank. And so it loans you the physical body, it loans you an emotional body, loans you, loans you an intellectual body, and gives you a life and a whole stream of karma. Gives all that to you. <coughs> and so you borrowed it. And then at the end, it's a contract. At the end, you have to give it back to God, don't you? <laughs> you have no choice about it. You, of course, you don't like that contract. <laughs> but so, when you're born here, you're already under contract. So, <laughs> it means when you come here, you're going to leave here. And then everything that you acquired here, you've got to give back to God, because it's all borrowed from God. So you might as well think of it as God's children, God's husband, God's job, God's car, God's uh, mother? mother. Yeah, your mother, your father, they're all God. Also money. Huh? Money as well. Money, yeah, all the money's God too. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> got to give the money back. We don't like that one, do we? <laughs> you know, like the guy who, they all read in the paper about a man who, who was dying, he was very rich, and all his relatives were around the bed <coughs> waiting for him to die because he had a lot of money. And you know what he did? He took the safety deposit box and he swallowed it. Oh. <laughs> He, he, he thought he, he was going to take it with him. <laughs> he didn't realize he just cut him open and take it home. <laughs> so everything stays behind. So <clears throat> everything here is a gift. It's a loan. And if you don't pay back your loans, then when you leave this earth, you have to come back and do it again. Fortunately, you don't know that you didn't do it before, so you're all right there. So, karma yoga is, is, is offering to God the, your actions. 
Huh? <laughs> so it's consecration. It's a religious. It's a religious idea. You you say I I you you're the man who has everything. You're the person or you're the God that has everything, but you don't have sense organs, so you can't act. <coughs> and so I'm going to act for you. You can act through me to get what you want. And I offer my life to you. Karma Yoga is turning over your life to God. And letting God tell you what you want and what you don't want. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? See, see now that, that's going to involve a discipline. We said here that formal devotion <clears throat> means what? It's a discipline. A disciple of God or a devotee of God is a disciplined person. Now what does it mean to say you're a disciplined person? It means you're constantly what? Controlling and monitoring your thoughts and your feelings and your motivations to make sure that the things you offer to God are worthy of God. Because if you offer something ugly and nasty, what's God you're going to get back? <coughs> huh? Something ugly and nasty. As you sow, so shall you reap. The law of karma is what you put in, you get out. So if you offer bad thoughts and bad feelings and so forth and so on, you offer anger huh, and judgment, and you have to offer all those things to the people around you, for sure those things will come right back to you. It may take a little while, it doesn't take long. You start experiencing bad karma. That's God's answer to you. This is God saying, so you feel like this? Well, how does it feel to get what, you, uh, what you're putting out? If you're a, a, a judgmental person, you're making judgments. People will judge you. That people that are judging you is your own judgments coming back at you. If you want to say, okay, you like to give people this trouble? Okay, people will give you trouble back. That's the way it works. That's the only way you're going to learn. Some people are too thick in their head to actually think first. So they have to be educated by God, by what? By the results of their actions. Okay? God knows best. You don't know best. If you knew best, you'd be happy. <laughs> but you obviously don't know best because you're unhappy. Whereas if you offer your actions to God and you take the results as a gift, we call it prasad in Sanskrit, as a gift from God, then, then what? Then it's all on God. You don't have to worry about your karma. God takes care of your karma. And you're happy to get what you want. You're grateful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very much. You're a kind and generous God. And when God, like, flaps you, which he does often, you say, thank you, God. Thank you very much. You're a very kind God. I needed that. I'm so stupid. I'm so selfish. I'm so emotional that I deserve to be punished for what? For inflicting my misery on the world. 
This is a good wake-up call. Thank you very much. You're grateful for what for getting what you don't want. And you're grateful for getting what you do. Understand? Now what's that going to do to your likes and your dislikes, your preferences? What's it going to do? Neutralize them. It's going to neutralize them. Karma Yoga is neutralizing your likes and your dislikes. It's not removing them, it's neutralizing. That means they don't have any power anymore. They can be preferences. You could prefer one thing to be this way or prefer it to the other way. But however God decide, however God makes it turn out is not what you accept. You see, now that's hard, isn't it? See the discipline? Because there's this uh, war with your ego. Because your ego just wants what it wants, when it wants it, the way it wants it. And if it doesn't, it gets angry or nasty. Or depressed. Oh, you are such a failure. I couldn't get anything right. I tried so hard. The world You blame mom, you blame pop, and you blame the federal government, you blame religion, and you blame anybody that you can find, you blame for your problems. But you don't have problems. You are the problem. <laughs> You have to take responsibility, that's what we say. You have to acknowledge who you are and your situation and be honest about how you're living. You can't just pretend that you're spiritual. That doesn't work. You have to be totally transparent and honest with yourself. And you have to know what your weaknesses are. God is telling you, you're weak here, you need work in this area. That's why he's giving you this trouble. You know, if you have trouble with love relationships, you know, you feel, oh no, she was like this, you see, and she was so selfish, and she did this, and then you go get another girlfriend, and then what? And then she becomes the problem. And you have five or six relationships, or eight or ten relationships, and the problem is always, you think that it's, you don't get the right person. You think, oh, maybe the eleventh relationship is going to be the right person. No, there's no right person. There's always only one person. It's just a woman or a man. That's all. And it's always the same woman, and it's always the same man. <laughs> and the women and the man are no different. They're just the same person. It's all just a human being. So if it's not working, it's because of you, not because of the object. This is, uh, this is called responsibility. This is called maturity. This will make a, a mature, grown-up person out of you. You've got guys like Donald Trump who are like six, seventy years old, and they're like six-year-old mentality. They're like children. This guy, this guy did not emotionally grow past about five or six. That's about it. He wants what he wants, when he wants it, the way he wants it, and if he doesn't like it, he gets angry and attracts people. That's what little kids do. Mommy, I want a bicycle. No, I can't give you a bicycle. Kick your mom! <laughs> <laughs> huh? That's immature. It's that's childish. And, and, you know, your inner child. <laughs> to hell with your inner child. We need an inner adult here. If you're going to, you know, actualize your full potential, 
You need an inner adult. You need a grown-up person with some kind of dispassion and some kind of discrimination and some kind of devotion to something higher. You need to have the capacity to love something other than just your own wants, your own needs. That's a grown-up, that's a mature adult. So karma yoga is going to grow you up. And it's a daily practice. And it's not only, mind you, it's not only an attitude of gratitude with respect to action and its results. It's not only that attitude. It's right action also. Right attitude and right action. Understand? So once you sign on to the, to the Vedanta program, you have to do... You, you, you don't have any choice about these practices from then on. If you stay out of the Vedanta program, then it's all up to you, and you can just do what you want, and, and it's fine. You go ahead and do what you want. Maybe you'll get to God, maybe you won't. We don't know. And we don't care. This is for people, grown-up people, who what? Mature people who want to take charge of their own destiny. Huh? Who want to make their lives go in the right direction toward their goal. Instead of just, most people, you know, what, what are their lives like? They just zig and zag everywhere. They go this way for a while, and it doesn't work, and then they go that way for a while, and it doesn't work, and then they go that way for a while, and it doesn't work, and they go over there, and it doesn't work. And they, and they spend 60, 70, 80 years trying to figure out what they want to be in life. <laughs> and at the end of life, they feel frustrated. I never got anywhere. My father on his deathbed, God rest his soul, you know what he said? He said, well, if I have any words of wisdom to impart to you, son, he said, they are this. I was too soon old and too late smart. <laughs> huh? Means he, he knew that he wasted his whole life. That's integrity. That's a person who's, who understands things. You don't want to be like that person. You don't want to just chase around after this and that, thinking that at the end of this rain, at the end of this rainbow, there's going to be a pot of gold. The only pot of gold is you. You're the most valuable thing. You're the rich. You're the. You're your own wealth. There's nothing more valuable, give you more security than yourself. So thinking that some object is going to solve the problem, you know, money, sex, power, security, pleasure, education, you know, whatever it is. Whatever goal you think is going to solve your problem. Love, to think, oh, relationship, that's going to solve the problem. Or children, that's another one. Oh, I've got to have children. I'm born to make children. Well, hey, listen, that's not a talent. <laughs> that's the easiest thing you can do. God, because God's doing it all. God's just reproducing through you, that's all. And you think it's your children. What? You think those are your children? You did, not one thing you did to create those things. 
And maybe you looked after them properly, and maybe you didn't. I mean, if you take take them as a gift and you treat them like you take them as you know, treat them with love and send them on their own and teach them who they are, well, fine, fair enough. But so, so karma yoga is a huge discipline because you're standing up to your desires. In the first stage, you don't stand up to your desires; you just act out your desires, and then you take the results from as Ishwar. And then as you get more strong, you get strong doing that. As you get more strong, then the next stage of karma yoga is one stage higher. What do you do? There you're not allowed to pursue your desires anymore. What do you have to do? You have to stand up to your desires. Why? Because your desires and your fears are proxies for ignorance. That proves you're ignorant. What you want and what you don't want proves you're ignorant. So you don't have to worry about God. <laughs> just worry about your, just understand that desires and fears are signs of ignorance. And so there, rather than indulge those fears and those desires, what do you do? You stand up to them. You say, I can do without that. You know, I don't have to worry about, you know, the world making trouble for me. I'm not worried about germs or whatever it is you're worried about. You know, germs are good. I, my body's full of germs. You know, you stop worrying about stuff. <clears throat> Understand? Whatever, whatever it is. Those just, and I want this. I don't need that. Now, you may not be totally confident that you're whole and complete, but you have to what? Act as if you were whole and complete. You have to actually take a stand in your wholeness and completeness, huh? even though it doesn't feel right. Because <coughs> your feelings are not evidence uh, uh, of the truth. Your feelings are not uh, statements of the truth. I got a special yoga. It's called Fifi Yoga. <laughs> you know what Fifi Yoga is? It's F Y F Y. Fifi. It's fuck your feelings yoga. <laughs> your feelings don't prove anything except that you have feelings. They're not evidence. In the court of law, it doesn't matter what you feel, does it? They want evidence. Your feelings are not evidence of anything except ignorance. So, so this is a job. This is a, this is a big job. I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. You know, and say, oh, it's all so wonderful, it's all spiritual. Oh, you have to love everybody. I'm going to You think that's bhakti yoga? That's not bhakti yoga. That's just fantasy land. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to help. So... I have to stand up, I have to become a, I hate to use this word, a, a, a human, a man. Man up, or woman up in this case. If you're a woman, woman up! 
means take charge of your life. Stop whining, stop complaining. The, this, is, this, this selfish person is just a big whiner. Always whining, always complaining. It makes you sick. You look at our president, he's the biggest whiner in the world. He, he whines louder than any baby in the nursery. <laughs> huh? The nursery's full of all sorts of babies, and he's the guy that screams and whines aloud. I don't want babies, I don't want my dad. I don't want my dad, I don't like that. Your likes and these likes and dislikes are the problem. Believing they're real is the problem. So I need to have a commitment to something higher than my own feelings to, uh, to get out of my feelings, to resolve my feelings. If you look at your feelings from a higher your feelings and your thoughts from a higher point of view, then what? You're going to get out of them. Now what's the higher point of view? That's the next stage. Here I love God as the giver of the results of my action. Here I love my personal God. Here I love stuff. But here, what do I love? Truth. I love knowledge. Now, what is the knowledge? That I'm whole and complete. That I'm free. See, that's where we're going. In Vedanta... We don't tell you that one fine day you'll get enlightened. It's not like that. That's what most of these spiritual paths do. Because they don't know what enlightenment is. So they tell you that, oh, just sit and breathe on, you know, watch your nose. Watch your breath coming in and out. Well, how long should I do that? Until you wake up. <laughs> Until you get enlightened, or any other practice, I'm just making a, a drama out of this. But how's that going to work? What kind of knowledge are you going to get from watching your breath? What kind of knowledge will you get? You'll get breath knowledge. <laughs> that that's it. And what is breath knowledge? It doesn't. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what breath knowledge is. Breath knowledge is. Breath comes in and it goes out. That's it. And it keeps life going. And I'm not breathing anyway. Are you breathing now? No. No. <laughs> right. yeah. No, you're not. You're listening to me talk. You, you just said you're breathing, but right here, huh? if you're breathing, then you won't be able to listen to me talk because you'll be spending all your energy breathing to keep yourself alive, won't you? Is that right? So to claim that your breathing is not correct, Ishwar, God's breathing, and you're you're allowed to enjoy yourself. You don't have to worry about. It. What about your meal? Are you digesting your food right now? Huh? No, you're not. You're not digesting your food. You you don't, you the self you the self doesn't have any stomach and doesn't eat. So how's it going to digest? And you, the person, huh, is obviously doing something else. So, so the dot is in you, what, digesting your food for you, turning it into energy, by creating waste, doing all the things that God does for you. So it's sustaining life for you and keeping you going. So you can, 
Right. Enjoy yourself here. Is that? I understand. I understand how <coughs> radical this is. This is really seemingly radical. It's just the opposite of the way that samsaric people think. Okay? It's trusting God. Now, once once you get that trust in God, once you get that trust, then you start to relax. Well, that, that tension goes away. That worry, that tension about getting what you want, it goes away. And and, and you start to relax. And then, then what happens? Then your mind, then God starts to think in you. And start to ask questions. Who is this God? What's this, what is this God? Aren't you curious to know who or what this God is? What the nature of this God is? Yeah, you are. You want to know. Because when you're not just so preoccupied with, with your own personal problems, <clears throat> you're able to like, start to look at the big picture. And what's my relationship, my ultimate relationship to God? Do, do I really depend upon God, or am I free of God? Oh. Huh? If you're free, you've got freedom's freedom, isn't it? So if you're dependent upon God, you've got problems, don't you? You're not free, are you? Is that right? Think about it. God you say God's the creator of the world and the maintainer of the Dharma field. In other words, maintainer of the laws and rules that operate here. Well, do I depend upon God or does God depend upon me? I need to solve that problem. Because I don't want to be I, I don't want to be stuck here in this earth depending upon anything, do I? I want to be free of everything. That's what non-dual love is. So loving God is loving not something I think is something other than myself, right? That's called dwaita or dualistic love, dualistic bhakti. <coughs> so now I'd like to be free of that. How? What is my? Who am I? And what is my actual relationship to? Uh, God in this body, in this world. What is my actual relationship? I want to know that. So Vedanta, uh, it's called Vipassana Yoga, and Vedanta answers that question for you. Vedanta removes your doubts about the nature of God, and it reveals your identity with God. So in dualistic devotion, or dualistic bhakti, what? I don't have an identity, I have a, a master and a slave relationship, don't I? God is my master and I'm not the servant of God. So God's the boss. Now, that's good up to a point, but it's still not freedom. Now that's taken care of, you know, like a, a good servant, for instance. A good servant has, you know, he's got life tenure. He knows that 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 what his boss needs him, 
And as long as he serves the boss, he's got a job. So, huh? But do I want, huh? Do I want to be anybody to be my boss? Most of you spiritual people are rebels. <coughs> I know I was. I told you. I, I, I forego the idea of getting a job. And I could have got a job because I came from a good family and I was educated. But I didn't want it because I didn't want a boss. So I decided to strike out on my own and just, just make do with my own wits. I figured I can figure things out on my own. I'll take care of myself. I do not want a boss. And most of us don't want to be bossed around. We're, re we're rebels. We want to be free. Isn't it? So, ideally, I'd like to be free of God too, wouldn't it? I know that may be even hard for you to imagine. Being free of this world, and being free of your body, and being free of your mind, and being free of everything. But it's entirely possible. But if it's totally merged, is there still a problem then? Pardon? But if it's totally merged, the idea of God and the idea of me as a person, if it's totally merged, there is, there is no problem there anymore. Well, what's the identity? There In other words, what's, what, there is a difference though, isn't there? What, what, how do they merge? That's a good question. How, how, does, how do you merge God and a person into what? How do you do that? By becoming the same consciousness. But how could you become that consciousness? By, uh, I wanted to say, obeying the rules of that consciousness. No, you can't. But if you obey the rules, you just get limited results. It, uh, so, obeying rules and doing what God you're supposed to do, like a good little boy or girl in school. Yeah, so it, it, it was clear what I was saying in my English. So it's not yeah, no, I know. I, it's all right. That's fine. Yeah. No, there is an identity. There is there is an identity between me, the person, and God, and God, the total. The, uh, I'm in charge of my little life, and God's in charge of the whole thing. Is that right? That's how huh? I have a little life and I have some free will, so I can make some choices here and I can influence and to some degree control or influence what happens in my little life. But then you become so empty of yourself that you become so full of God, then there is no space left for it. Else. So then you wouldn't say you, were, you there was God or you anymore. No, yes, exactly. That's okay, that's what we're saying. Absolutely, you're correct. I thought that's what you meant. Yes, it was. <laughs> but but the, the language, the the merger, the merger language, the yoga language is a problem because if there's only God, then there's nothing to move in to merge. Huh? If there's only God. See, this is our premise. This is what we're saying from the beginning. There's only God. There's not two things other than God. So if you think there's two things other than God, then ha, ha, what kind of a merger is it? What kind of a yoga is it? Well, it's a yoga that's already accomplished. In other words, you're already non-different from God. You just don't know it. Now, Vedanta, what Vedanta does is it takes away your ignorance. 
about this fact. And how does it do that? That's the important thing. It, it reveals to you the unexamined logic, knowledge or logic, of your own experience. Now what does that mean? That's a, that's a deep statement. Needs to be explained. That means, at some part of you, in your heart, you could say, in your essence, in your heart, you know you're non-separate from God and non-separate from you. You know that. But huh, a lot of actions and a lot of ignorance has taken place, and that knowledge is covered up or hidden from you. And so you come to incorrect conclusions about what? You come to incorrect conclusions about the nature of your body, the nature of your emotions, the nature of your life here, the nature of the world, and the nature of God. In other words, ignorance is hidden or covered this knowledge, this innate knowledge that's hidden in everybody. Because you never were separate from God, ever. You couldn't be. You are God, you are, will always be God. There's nothing but God. And God wasn't born. So God's eternal. That's why when you understand this, you, your word is stopped because you realize you can't die. You're immortal. And then what? And then all your worries go away because the fear of death doesn't bother you anymore and change doesn't bother you anymore. And you're perfectly happy. And if this body dies, you look out through all the other bodies that are still there. You experience life through all the billions of other conscious beings that are there. Okay? So, so this, this innate knowledge is built into every, every human being. And, but it's hidden, it's uncovered. And so what we do, what Vedanta does, is just get you to what? To see the connection, in other words, to trace back to the source and see that what you thought you didn't know, you always did know. Because when you hear this teaching, huh, it, it makes total sense and you feel happy. And you say, oh, I knew that all along. That's not a surprise. <laughs> huh? Now, how does it do that? Uh, how, how, does, how does it go about that? Well, Vedanta has, is, is a three-stage process. Of devo it's a three-stage devotional process. Okay? The first two stages, huh? The first two stages are what? Karma Yoga, the two stages of Karma Yoga. And then the, then the third stage is what? Uh, it's called listening. You're all doing a good job at this stage right now. We're in the listening mode. We're in the first stage of Vedanta. It's called listening. Now what does listening mean? Listening or hearing. The Sanskrit word is shravana or hearing. Now what is hearing? Hearing is actually hearing what's actually being said without interpreting what you hear. 
See, now the discipline gets very difficult. It's hard enough to stand up your desires and to keep your mind on God all the time when you're acting. But now listen, when you're talking to somebody, when you meet somebody and you're, you're speaking to that a person, and they make a statement, what happens to your mind? You immediately huh, try to understand what they mean in terms of what you understand, in terms of your knowledge. Is that right? You immediately, you want, because why? You, you need a box to put them in. You don't see them as God. You want to shove them into a little box in your mind where, uh, where it's comfortable and where they won't disturb you. So you're constantly evaluating what does he like, what does she like, what is this and that and that and the other thing to see what kind of a person they are and whether you're going to like them or not or understand them or not. You want, to, you want to know. So what do you do when you hear them make a statement? You immediately categorize them. You conceptualize them and you produce enough thought right away. And then you start seeing them through that thought. And then as they give you more information, you modify that thought. But all the time you're looking at them through your own beliefs and opinions and prejudices and biases. You're not, you don't even let them finish saying what they're saying before you, what, have already figured out what you think they are. Which means what? You stopped listening as soon as they started talking. <laughs> you can't wait to tell them what you think. Isn't that right? Did you ever do that? Yeah, you did. You do it all the time. That's what everybody does. Huh? You don't let actually listen to... You guys are doing well. You're listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you're paying attention, I can tell. Huh? So what? So you're not really evaluated, are you? Because you keep, I can see... I, I'm a teacher, so I can see by looking at your energy and your faces whether or not you're paying attention, whether or not you're absorbing what I'm saying. And, and nobody's arguing. You may have an argument in your mind, but what do you do with the argument that's in your mind? You see, you put it aside, you say, well, maybe this guy has something to say, let's hear what he has to say, let's hear the whole story. Because Vedanta's not easy. It, it gives you a whole train of logical statements, which you have to check in your own, from your own experience, to determine whether or not it's true. And as, as you can see, as I've worked slowly, slowly through these ideas, nobody's objected so far. Why not? Because you know it's true. <laughs> if it wasn't true, you'd fight. Well, you only know it's true because you're actually listening to what I'm saying. There's some people that come in and they think they know everything. And so they argue in their mind with everything that I say. And then once they get an opening, then they start an argument. They try to start an argument. But we don't argue. We never argue. It's pointless. It's totally pointless. Because 
You get to argue. Now listen, it doesn't mean you can't argue and you shouldn't argue. But you need to argue once you've heard the teaching. You can't come in thinking you know something and, and then criticize the whole teaching because uh, on the basis of some little little statement that, that the teaching makes that irritates you that, you, that you don't like. You have to be fair and open-minded and an adult. You have to be professional, a professional listener, and actually hear, well, he said this, 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 and this. And, and how did I, you know, how did I feel about that? What, how did I see that? What did he actually say? You should be able to repeat the logic, and then you can attack it. If you've actually heard it. If you've actually heard it, you won't attack it, because it will make sense. But if your prejudices, or your beliefs, your biases, your opinions have, have, have taken over, then what? Then you'll say, well, that's a bunch of bullshit, James. I think, and then you'll say what you think. Well, then, then the conversation is ended, because we don't argue. You're free to think whatever you want. In the second stage, now listen, the second stage is where even even more difficult, because for Vedanta to work, and it's only going to work if you have a guru, because this, the tendency for self-deception is amazing. We just love to lie to ourselves. We're so good at lying to ourselves, believe me, that you need to have somebody who's objective who can tell you, that's baloney, that's not correct. And, and explain to you why your thinking isn't correct. But in the second stage, what, what's the difficulty? Why is it so difficult? Why is Vedanta so difficult? Because for you to progress spiritually, for you to grow in understanding, in knowledge, in truth, for you to grow in understanding, you've got to what? This is painful, I know, I understand, you don't like it, you're not going to like it. Huh? But... But this is the way it works. You've got to sacrifice what you believe and think and feel uh, and accept what the truth is. If your thought, if you, uh, if you disagree, and if you disagree, you have to keep contemplating on the teaching until what? You see the logic, you see the truth in it. Once you see the truth in it, then you're happy to let go of your beliefs and your opinions. And it's hard because most of us think that, that, that our ignorance is knowledge. We don't realize it's not your fault. I'm not blaming anybody. There's no blame involved in this. It's just that, well, you think, well, because I experienced it, and I came to this conclusion, and that so forth and so on, that, you know, and I, I experienced it, and it must be true. But it's not true because you experienced it necessarily. It may be true, and it may not be true. You have to see whether or not uh, what you think and feel is in line with the truth, with what you've heard. And you can do it because these are not my words. You know, if, <laughs> if they were my words, you should get out of here. 
<laughs> you should go somewhere else. Because how do you know? I can sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> so I can sell you most anything. But so you better not believe me. <laughs> huh? You better not trust the guru. Understand? Because how do you know? You have to trust the logic, the, the words. These are the words of what? Of God. These are not my words. And I can't claim them as my words. I'm telling you, every single thing that comes out of my mouth when I'm sitting here, except the jokes. <laughs> and you know what I'm just talking you know what, I'm just having a nice time. Huh? Everything, every single thing that's, that, that I say, when I have my guru hat on, huh? when I take my guru hat off and you meet me on the street, you can, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> but here, it's my job to what? To just uh, explain the words of the Lord. Explain God's words to you. I have to do it fairly and impartially, and I can't put my own personal opinion on it. Not that I have a personal opinion anymore, because God's words are perfectly fine. I don't need to have a personal opinion. God's words are just absolutely, totally satisfied, so I might as well just speak God's words. Why not? It's a lot easier than maintaining my opinions and the belief that I'm special, or that I'm different, or that I know more, or something like that, or I'm better, or I'm more spiritual, something. You know how it is. Oh, the